This is the Fathering Project podcast, Figuring It Out Together, where we tackle many challenges facing dads and father figures and explore fathering across all ages, from newborns to toddlers, school age and teenagers. We speak with experts in their fields to help you navigate solutions and positive outcomes for each stage of your fathering journey. Let's figure it out together. Hello and welcome to the Fathering Project podcast. Kathy Gapayar here, and today we're joined by Annie Hamilton, a speech pathologist who runs her own practice working with families and children aged zero to three years. Annie's clinical experience with young children and their families has spanned across Australia, Singapore, and London over the past nine years. Her passion for early intervention has been shaped by mentors in major tertiary pediatric hospitals, specialized postgraduate coursework from around the world, and the countless young families she's had the privilege to support on their developmental journeys. Today, we'll be discussing the importance of early intervention to support children who may be experiencing challenges with their language development and social communication. Welcome, Annie, and thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure. So let's jump straight into it, Annie. Can you give us a rundown on what you do and how you support the development of children, especially that zero to three year stage? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess to start right at the outset, speech pathologists, I guess our role is really to look at assessment, diagnosis and treatment um, of developmental and acquired difficulties. So that can span really broadly across speech and language, um, as well as pragmatics, which is the social communication element part, uh, voice difficulties and disorders, fluency, which is stuttering, feeding and swallowing. And then we're also contributing increasingly in the mental health space. So uh, in supporting attachment and working with you know people that have mental health difficulties um so we have a really broad scope of practice as speech pathologists um i guess my role has been particularly with working right from um children who are born prematurely uh, within the hospital setting and supporting their early oral feeding and supporting attachment um, and, and their connection with their parents and caregivers. Um, but yeah, speech pathologists work right through to palliative care as well and across hospital schools, community settings and private practice, which is where I'm working currently. Um, and so I'm really dedicated to little ones and championing the role that we have as speech pathologists in early intervention. Um, and I guess the primary role that I perceive, you know, that, that I have with, with parents and caregivers is to support them to feel really empowered and confident uh, in supporting their own children and their, their child-specific needs. So um, I adore working with both mums and dads, and I think there's something really magic when both mums and dads are involved in their child's care, um, especially in the communication and attachment and, and feeding sense as well. So I guess we know that... Uh, communication, language feeding, it all is developed through connection and how we can foster that as early as possible to be really, you know, enhanced and, and really ingrained into a family's culture makes a really huge difference. Um, I think we have, as speech pathologists, a really big role in linking with uh, children's GPs and child health nurses and pediatricians uh, and, and linking with them to provide really, you know, uh, collaborative and cohesive care and also very often point families in the direction of hearing assessment if there's any sort of early difficulties um, with their communication noted. Uh, 
and I guess, you know, for further information on speech pathologists and, and our role, speechpathologyaustralia.org is a wonderful website that has a great finder speech pathologist function. So I'll just plug that there. If, if right at the outset here, you've got any concerns or wanting to reach out to a local speech pathologist, um, yeah, you can find that all through the Speech Pathology Australia website. Fantastic. That's such a broad spectrum of work. And um, Annie, can I ask you straight up, um, do you find with your work that the um, fathers um, contribute to or impact their child's speech um, uniquely to mothers or do they do the same kind of thing? Yeah, really, really wonderful question. I guess in my professional experience, and as I mentioned just before, there's something really magic when both mums and dads are involved because I think that both mums and dads contribute different lenses perhaps to how they they see their child's communication and their play and very often um, we see this this beautiful balance when we have both caregivers really involved in in a child's um, yeah care and, and engagement in in the therapy and, and the communication so I think in terms of what dads specifically bring um to to the to the page with early communication I think there's just very often dads are the ones that are doing the big gross movements and the big you know broad play and um that that can really spark some particular magic and particular motivation for little ones in in engaging and I guess we really find that through playfulness and you know that that those big movements that dads just I don't know, tend to have that that nuance or you know that that unique connection with that it can be really magic, yeah, to see children's um, yeah capacity to connect and capacity to communicate and start to really engage calm as part of those those connection moments. So yeah, there's there's something special about dads. Dads play a really special role in early communication and feeding development. Yes, exactly. Um, so dads, please get involved. It's really critical for, for your baby's um, speech development. Um, how critical do you believe early intervention is to ensure the development of a child's communication skills? And what does research say about this? And what have you found through your particular practice, Annie? Yeah, great question. So Ultimately, early intervention is absolutely critical. So we know through all of the research and the findings that just continue to mount um, greater and greater contributions to, to these findings is that there's so many neural pathways and so much pruning that is happening in those early years. So um, there's this beautiful term, exuberant synaptogenesis, which is all about how children's brains in these first three years of life are just developing at such an incredibly rapid rate. And so what we know is that the pathways that we're paying particular attention to and really um, really focusing on and building capacity with, that they become really strong and really ingrained. And so we're wanting to make sure that we're creating those really strong pathways in the first three years in all the right ways, in all the right locations and really promoting um, you know, effective communication across a really wide array of settings and really looking at how we're um, supporting children to, to learn and to grow in these first three years. So um, to say that, we, we know that there are also what we call critical periods and sensitive periods where we know that 
um, that, that within the first three years, children need to be exposed to just natural communication opportunities for their communication to develop and to thrive. Um, and also sensitive periods where we know that there's particular um, you know, particular benefits to, to achieving, you know, growth and, and development in certain areas um, between certain age ranges. And again, you know, zero to three is a really key time for so many aspects of children's development. So trying our very best to get it right from as early as possible is really, really critical. And that's the whole point of early intervention. So to have the right people in place at the right time for children to, and, and families to really thrive, you know, everyone's in it together. I guess um, to speak to the research, so the Lancet, which is a very, um, very well-revered um, source of research for healthcare providers um, has a really beautiful um, quote that comes from one of their recent, well, it's been a couple of years ago now, actually, an article or a series of articles, which was all about young children's development. And, and the quote that I love to take from it is that young children's healthy development depends on nurturing care. And that is care which ensures health, nutrition, responsive caregiving, safety and security and early learning. And I guess what we're really thinking about is that you know, early childhood's not only a period of spectral sensitivity to risk factors, um, but also a really important time where the benefits of that early intervention are amplified and that we can really reduce um, the risk of negative effects during that time too. So, yeah, I just love that tenant of nurturing care. It just we're, we're really thinking about how are we nurturing children's, you know, um, capacity to thrive in these early years. Fantastic. And how early can you tell a child has challenges with speech and language development? What are the typical signs that parents should be looking out for? Yeah, another great question. So some conditions can be identified even before birth or at birth or shortly after birth, um, where we know there's a you know, there's a risk that is associated with particular um, presentations and, and the impacts that they can have on communication and or feeding and swallowing difficulties. So they might be, you know, early birth injuries or uh, particular things that have been identified um, neurologically, so with the brain or they might be genetic or to do with the heart or their lungs or their tummy and their gastrointestinal system. Uh, and so if these have been identified, you know, as soon as they're identified, really, that there should be plans for, you know, such children and families to be linked in with a network and a team or to have some quite careful monitoring plans in place so that we're identifying, um, you know, a delay as, as early as possible or that risk of delay so that everything's sort of in place and, and around that child and around that family right from the outset. So we're preventing as far as possible increasing delays than, than what we could otherwise see with the right supports in place. Um, to say that there's also other diagnoses that can occur later. So that might be yeah, diagnoses of you know, ASD or autism spectrum disorder, um, developmental language delays, um, cerebral palsy. And so with 
those kind of diagnoses, um, you know, again, we're really looking at catching them as early as possible. And so parents are uniquely placed as being, you know, the core, core care providers and, and they're in each child's day-to-day -day reality to realise, you know, if, if things don't quite feel right, um, you know, even if people are saying, oh, oh, no, no, you know, just wait and see or things like that, that it's worth a conversation with someone. It's really worth a conversation with someone to just explore a little bit around what you're observing, um, what your concerns are, because if a parent's concerned, then my opinion is that that, you know, that's very um, valid and worthy information of exploring further with someone. So be that your GP, um, be that calling a speech pathologist that is local to you to just have a little chat and see what their thoughts are. Um, but I think most speech pathologists are quite happy to have those, you know, small conversations that could open up, you know, your perspective on what, what to do next, where to go next. Um, but to talk more to sort of specific milestones, I'd really point you in the direction of, yeah, Speech Pathology Australia's website has um, milestones for children right from 12 months through to five years of age. Um, and they really do reinforce that, you know, if you've got any concerns then it's worth a conversation and that reaching out as early as possible is the best possible thing you can do for your child. Yeah, I think that's the, the key message there is um, reach out and have a conversation if you're concerned about anything because you're in the best place um, to see that there might be some missing of key milestones. Your work is heavily focused around parent coaching. What are some key strategies or activities that parents can do with their preschool kids to assist if they're showing signs of delay? So can you give us five strategies or three strategies that would work there? Absolutely. So many strategies <laughs> up my sleeve. Um, but if I was to think about just a few really core ones um, to be mindful of, I guess, in terms of early communication, we're starting with the fundamentals of how we're really tuning into what your child is trying to communicate. So we know that um, you know, all, all behaviour is communication uh, and it's our role to really tune in to children to understand what are they trying to communicate to us in this moment with their gestures, with their actions, with their sounds, with their words. Uh, and so there's this beautiful strategy called OWLing, which is uh, an acronym for Observe, Wait and Listen, which comes from the Hannon It Takes Two to Talk approach, which is a sort of specialist program Program that speech pathologists um, are trained, or some are trained in, um, I myself included. And um, yeah, so we're looking at observing children's, you know, they're, what, what they're doing, what they're interested in, what they're exploring. How are we setting up an opportunity to wait for them to take their turn in that communication, in that interaction? And how are we listening and how are we paying attention to their responses uh, so that we're being really in tune, uh, that we're being really responsive, that we're being really you know, in the moment with them and their curiosity and their interest? So that would be my first. Uh, my second, I guess, would be making sure that we're really often face to face. So Again, you know, being face to face, facing each other at 
you know, as many opportunities as possible, even thinking about, you know, when kids are in prams and strollers, there can be a unique benefit to them still facing you because they're getting so much information from what your, you know, your face is doing, what your lips are doing, how you're producing speech sounds, um, your gaze, how you can attend to things together. And by being face-to-face, you're able to really capture, yeah, what, what is your child interested in? How are we meeting them where they're curiosity and where their focus is at because that's where the connection between what is happening what our sounds are and what words those sounds make um, all happen to map those words into their vocabulary so that would be my second Uh, and then I'd be really thinking about I guess the magic of using books and the magic of using songs to support children to engage uh in yeah in connecting with us and in taking you know beautiful turns uh in in commenting uh in in paying that beautiful joint attention which are all really foundational you know uh, skills to have for communication to continue to flourish and grow um there's some brilliant resources um out there you know all around book sharing and I guess this concept of book sharing that it's not always just book reading that we're reading to a child but we're really wanting to share those moments with them and share share and enjoy together and allow them you know to take the lead in those moments um, for and for us to be there to join them and to comment and narrate on what they're doing rather than uh, necessarily asking them lots and lots of questions um, yeah so if I yeah, was to summarize, there'd be some really key ones which are beautiful for children, you know, of any age, really. Um, yeah, and I guess the thing with therapy is that it's all about, you know, how are we, how are we helping each child to take the very next step that they need to take towards their longer term goals? Um, and so the strategies that speech pathologists and other therapists use are very often not so much based on age, but more so based on their level of skill and their level of function. And again, meeting children where they're at and figuring out, well, what's the next step from there, not the next leap or, or big jump. It's step by step, you know, moment by moment. Um, But all of these, yeah, these strategies sort of form that foundation of oral language. And we know that oral language is really critical for literacy and longer term language skills. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're, we're talking um, about, um, you know, children as a whole, but obviously you work with children who may have issues with speech development or specifically have developmental conditions like autism. What are two or three challenges that you found, you found in your practice with, um, you know, speech development in, in children who, who may have conditions like autism? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, you know, a diagnosis, for example, here of autism, we have to start with the caveat of that that really requires, um, you know, the diagnosis of a trained healthcare professional um, and based on their assessment, which is based on really specific guidelines. And so I guess here, this podcast being recorded in 2021, um, that's with what we call the DSM-5 and it requires... um, you know, observations about social communication and restricted and repetitive interests and other criteria such as repetitive behaviours and insistence on sameness and restricted or fixated interests with a typical intensity or focus and sensory inputs and things like that. So I guess to start that as a caveat, I guess 
when we see children with a diagnosis of autism, then we're, we're seeing you know, difficulties a- across the board on those aspects. And so when we're thinking about speech language and social communication specifically, we're really looking at, you know, what, what kind of, um, what kind of capacity does a child have in, in having these real back and forth, you know, turns and, and building that towards, you know, back and forth um, conversation and how are they able to initiate and sort of respond to social interactions as being a really um, core aspect um, as well as, you know, how, how are we noticing that, um, yeah, their eye contact and their body language and, and their facial expressions are linking in those sort of nonverbal communication aspects for social interaction. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that there's some, you know, really core aspects of the challenges that we see for, um, yeah, children who, who receive a diagnosis of autism. Um, but that I would say, you know, for, for any parents who might have any concerns around these areas, that it's really important that you're talking to someone that's trusted to you as part of your child's healthcare team. So a trusted GP or um, discussing with a child health nurse or a pediatrician um, to, to really yeah, explore you know, explore any observations that you're having um, or any concerns that you have in, yeah, in any aspect of your child's communication development or social interaction. And also um, a plug for making sure you're looking at reputable websites for information too, if you're happening to, you know, search for things online. So thinking about those websites that end in .gov or .org as being really, you know, trusted places to to find out more um, if you're doing sort of further reading in these regards. Um, and um, last question, Annie, if I may, um, language development isn't just about speech and literacy. So what else does it involve and um, how do you help at those levels? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess when we think about, um, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, speech pathologists work across a really broad uh, spectrum um, and you write language development isn't just about speech or literacy we're really looking at social communication aspects there as well and so when we think about sort of strategies or how we're working with children across this really broad range of how we're enhancing ultimately sort of their their oral language capacity and their capacity to connect with us and to take those beautiful turns and and to maintain you know communication um you know, in, in longer and longer strings over time um, that we're looking at, you know, parent coaching and, and tuning, yeah, parents and caregivers into their child's strengths and their skills um, and how we're leveraging those to help them, you know, towards the next developmental steps um, and foundationally, again, through that aspect of connection. So how are we building children's real internal motivation and enjoyment through day-to-day routines and activities and exploring things together, Um as a really broad way of enhancing all aspects of communication. So um, fundamentally, yeah, we, we know that, you know, connection um, is, is the precursor to being able to develop things like eye contact and joint attention and turn-taking and copying, which we call, you know, pre-linguistic skills. And then from there building into how children are able to understand. And then from a level of understanding, we see that children are able to express more and more both through gestures and actions, but then, you know, eventually verbally with their words. Um, So, yeah, it all sort of, yeah, comes comes together. Um, And I guess, 
you know, so so long as we're really thinking about this core aspect of, you know, how are we how are we participating and really following children's lead and their curiosity um, that we can build, you know, beautiful language and beautiful connection in that way because their vocabulary will bloom in the areas that they're really curious about and interested in. We just meet them. Yeah, we just need to meet them where they're at with that. And help them, yeah, and support them yeah. too. Annie, thank you so much for joining us tonight. You've been a fantastic guest and provided our listeners with some really great tips and strategies on speech pathology and language development and social communication. I've certainly learned a lot. Uh, Listeners, to learn more about Annie's work, you can visit babyto3.com. The link will also be up on the Fathering channel. Annie, thanks again, and we look forward to having you back again soon. Wonderful. I look forward to it too. Thank you. Thank you.